0: we would try to apply for google and everything else and everyone would say no like it's we can't do it you know we can't run ads on your website and we can't give you any of our tooling so it's just like well i guess i have to build it myself if you guys aren't going to help me out
1: welcome 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 thank you to everyone who's joining us today on the freestar blood sweat and cpms podcast i hope that everybody's doing well and had a good time off uh, I am your host, of course, Jeff Kudushevich.
2: And I'm Andy Forwork, your co-pilot, navigating you through this uh, wild world
1: of ad tech. Andy, anything uh, going on in your life that you want to chat about?
2: Yeah, I got to check out this new uh, flick on Disney Plus called Hamilton. I think most of you guys uh, maybe have heard of this thing, uh, Broadway show with the original cast. It was quite fantastic, and I'm already excited to watch it again. What about you, Jeff? You got anything going on?
1: Yeah, um you might actually be hearing it in the background. I'm not sure. I'm getting a lot of work done in the backyard here. I'm putting in some new hardscaping, uh putting in trees, all of this cool stuff. I'm finally going to be happy about the way the backyard looks. It's sort of always been um the step down literally and figuratively from the actual house. So uh, that's been uh, a long time coming, and I'm definitely happy about that. Not that anybody might care, but I'm excited about that, so go me.
2: Are there any, uh, like, you know, obviously redoing your backyard is pretty cool and all, but are there any, like, really big highlights or features that you're excited about?
1: I think Andy is trying to goat me into saying I'm getting a hot tub, uh, <laughs> which I am. Uh, so, yes, I am excited about getting a hot tub. Yeah, it's, it usually is not necessary in most parts of the year here in LA, but we do have cool evenings and it is also a nice thing to relax in and come on, who does not want a hot tub? So uh, it's it's been a, a long fantasy of mine to have a backyard that can house a hot tub and now That fantasy will shortly be a reality. So thank you, Andy, for for goading me into talking about my (laughs) (laughs) cocktail. I'm pretty excited about it.
2: So looking forward to it.
1: For sure. Uh, Well, on today's episode, we're going to have our special guest, Paris Holly, talking to us from Mantis, going to talk all things uh, cannabis, CBD, all of that good stuff. Uh, in that realm of advertising, we're also going to kick the show off with our uh, Reddit AdOps threads of the week. Hopefully, we can give you some information, our opinions, and you know, make you laugh at the same time. All right. Well, before we actually dive into our first thread, spoiler alert: I'm going to talk about our subreddit. We recently hit 25,000 subscribers. When I started that thing, I never, never in my wildest dreams thought more than 10 people were going to go on the subreddit and talk about ad ops. And it's crazy to me to just see it, it get as big as it's gotten. I kind of had my little thread on there where I, I just talked about it. But I, what I wanted to really highlight were some of the, the key features that have really brought me a, a sense of pride, if I'm going to be honest, is a lot of people get jobs uh, from from that subreddit, our very own producer here, Paulo Bautista. I hired him from the subreddit. There are active job posts all the time. And, and honestly, the fact that I hear CEOs and presidents say that they have keyword alerts and whenever they hear about their company being named there, they jump into threads and we'll actually talk about a thread where something like that happened in, in our kind of free start competitive space, but really just knowing that people take those threads seriously and the way your company is represented or the way that the industry is represented is really important. Well, I'm now going to get off of my soapbox and get back to our regularly scheduled uh, AdOps threads. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is entitled The Future of IDFA Is... Dot, dot, dot. And the user kind of talks through uh, this an announcement that was made on June 24th by Apple. Um, obviously, it's important for anybody in, in the app space and certainly consumers are, 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 are certainly interested in this as well. You know, when we spoke to our head of app monetization, I kind of got our official skinny over here and essentially... You know, as a company, we're we're following the changes. The responses from the demand partners has generally been fairly negative. You know, people sort of expect that the impact is going to be negative on the CPM performance. We obviously don't yet know the the full impact uh, on that. You know, there's a, a kind of a variety of of unknowns uh, so mm-hmm. far the impact on cpms we don't exactly know the the percentage so to speak but it will certainly it will certainly be there you know both short term and probably long term Andy, any thoughts on this
2: yeah i think it's a we're still so early on that you know it's hard to it's hard to tell i mean this this post is suggesting that you know because apple killed the cookies that they could just kill idfa as well i uh, idfa standing for identification for advertisers, this world of acronyms is never going to end. Is it this? for
1: sure? Not you, you, you've been in, you've been in <laughs> ad tech and digital for far too long. You know, everything is going to get an, everything acronym is always point. an
2: acronym. Yeah. We'll
1: just be speaking in, in emojis and acronyms from now on.
2: They also reference a screenshot to like, a, I I guess something that was taken from a live stream of one of these Apple events and you know, it's, it's a picture just a picture of like a, a prompt from iPhone saying, you know, Pal About being the app uh would like permission to track you across apps and websites owned by other companies. And it says your data will be used to deliver personalized ads to you. And then it has uh allow tracking or ask app not to track. So I mean that that's kind of like where this is coming from, I think. There there's like this additional sort of GDPR kind of wall that's being put up now and and we could see that in apps moving forward. And, and yeah, I mean, I think like you said, this is going to affect advertisers ability to target. And so, you know, it's early on, uh, this was kind of brought up in, in, in June, uh, late
1: June. So, and you know, I, I love all of this regulation talk. It's, it's so riveting. <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> yeah. Remember when the internet was free? Uh You know, I just see a twinkle in your eye as we talk about the old days of the internet. The old
2: days.
1: (laughs) Next up is, in your opinion, what's an impeccable, and impeccable is all caps, piece of software. They didn't specifically talk about ad tech and and those sorts of things. Uh, Some people in the thread did talk specifically about vendors in our space. When I read this, I felt like, just as being a leader in our space and, and probably a lot of this behind the scenes stuff, as far as what I do on a day to day basis, probably most people don't, you know, don't see, uh, that, that closely. Um, so I figured it'd probably help, you know, hearing from me and from Andy, um, about actual things that we use to help our day. So for me, I wanted to highlight Google keep, um, I know we all probably use a billion different Google products. Uh, This this is a billion and one for me. Uh, Google Keep is is a way to sort of um, have a list checklist. I like to use it um, because I have a lot of different groups that I either manage directly or uh, projects. So for us uh, going into Q3, we kicked off um, our first round of OKRs, um, Objectives and Key Results. So for me, I have uh, different lists around uh, types of OKRs that we're looking at. I also then have the teams that I'm managing, so our, our um, yield items, uh, account management items, and so forth. And then I also have lists for different groups that I deal with closely. So people ops our, you know HR function, um, marketing, and those sorts of things, and I sort of just use those to, to highlight the very big projects that, that those groups are working on that I have an interest in or that I'm helping you know, uh, co-project manage. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a great way for me to keep organized. I know a lot of people use Evernote and sticky notes and literally sticky pads. Uh, I've tried to consolidate and really just keep a little notepad not a physical one, uh, an electronic notepad for notes as my day goes, just I got to jot this down really quick. And then basically, I either figure out who those little notes need to go to, or if it's a big thing or a big uh, initiative, then I kind of jump in and put something into Google Keep. So that's my impeccable piece of software uh, that I wanted to showcase. Andy, I know you had something you wanted to talk about as well from your side.
2: Yeah, so uh, I just found out about this app. Um, It's for Mac and iOS, and um, uh, it's called Paste. And it's simply a, uh, call it a clipboard history. Uh, So when you're copying and pasting, um, as I do often throughout my day, uh, I'll be hitting Command-C to copy something and then Command-V to paste it. Uh, What this app does is it kind of keeps a list or a length of like 10 um, ten pieces of history from your clipboard so you know if you have like a lot of things that you're kind like maybe you got to copy and paste a a link and then you also got to paste in the title Uh, with this app it allows you to to bring up a prompt at the bottom of your screen and select which thing you want to actually paste into that document that you're working on Um, and it allows you to just kind of work at a a little bit more faster pace there's a a setting also or like a, a section where you can you know, save, paste. So if there's something that you copy and paste a lot, um, maybe like your name or phone number or something simple like that, you could just have that ready to go um, and not have to, you know, go back to the application or, or whatever browser window it was and copy that text again. So just a little bit of a time saver um, for those of you that copy and paste a lot. And I, I think it's it's pretty cheap. It's, I think, $20 a year for the subscription. So it is a subscription-based software. Uh, but yeah, it's it's 20 bucks a year, so it's not terribly expensive.
1: All right, awesome, Andy. Next thread is entitled Prebid Plus Ad Manager Setup Help. This was one that I wouldn't consider was a top thread, but it was one that sort of interests us, mainly because I feel like what this user is asking, people might feel is a quote-unquote dumb question, which I, I, I hate that term just to my core, but I do feel... Other people might have this type of question or or concern. Uh, so essentially, the the question here is, you know, planning to switch to a, a DSP plus pre-bid based setup. I, I think he probably he or she probably means SSP, um, and sort of talking about how do you just go about setting up uh, header bidding and and that sort of thing. So, uh, Andy, this is much more in your wheelhouse. So I figured you could. Kind of kick us off and i'll i'll jump in and, and and add a little bit of flavor as we go
2: yeah thanks jeff it's uh so you know this is a obviously it's 2020 we've had this technology of pre-bid around for many years now and it's being adopted pretty much everywhere uh that we see on the internet uh even companies like ourselves have kind of built a business around it so you know helping someone answer these questions, you know, I think the first place you got to start is prebid.org. There's a really, you know, everything you can learn about prebid is on that website. Um, But I'll break it down into some of the components of, you know, things you need to think about if you're a publisher that's starting to want to work on this. So the first thing, and they kind of ask about this this in this post is, you know, what do I do with the line items in my DFP or my GAM setup? And, you know, that's probably one of the most, challenging pieces of uh, this puzzle is that you need to hook into the, the GAM API and you, you need to write some code to, you know, push line items into DFP um, at a massive scale, because uh, for a human to go through and, you know, input all of these line items uh, you know, just through the UI is going to be very time consuming and, and you're going to spend a lot of time doing that. So if you can find something on GitHub that's already, I mean, the the Gamma API is, um, there's several ways to connect to it. It depends on the programming language you're familiar with, but look around GitHub. Uh, I know there were some old ones in Node in the past, and people might be more familiar with that than those of Java or PHP platforms these kind of days, but... Uh, you can also talk to your SSPs. Uh, they may be able to, they may already have something built that can help you get this stuff input into your ad server. Um, and I guess that kind of brings me to the next step is, yeah, n- you now need to c- talk to all these SSPs and get your contracts set up with them. Okay. And uh, I guess the question about the line items, um, do you need line items for each publisher or can I one, run one set for the whole network is the question from the the user here. And, You can definitely run those line items on as many websites as you can or have set up in your GAM. Um, If you need to separate out reporting, then usually using, you know, some kind of naming convention on your GAM ad units. Um, And then the the other question here is like, do I need an order per demand partner or is one fine? I think that's a preference. Um, You can go either way. Uh, It depends on the level of reporting that you want access to in your GAM. I'd recommend doing it by network, uh, just to have that breakout. It helps you track down discrepancies and other things that come from, you know, this world of header bidding.
1: All right. Our last thread for, uh, our session here. Andy is entitled entertainment website with 7 million views a month. And then in in parentheses, should I try to manage my own ads? The user here mentions they work with one of the top ad companies. They explicitly reference Mediavine, Us, Freestar, and AdThrive, mentioning the rev share is 7525. The user here talks about making pretty good money, making 600K a year. Uh, Andy, is that pretty good money, uh, 600K pretty a year?
2: Good, huh? I wish I was making 600K <laughs> a year.
1: <laughs> and also referencing that's that's pre-COVID. Obviously, yeah, I'm sure things... Uh, Change pretty dramatically. Uh, they sort of talk about having different accounts um, uh, themselves versus having them owned by uh, the partners they work with. Um, this is a common thread on the subreddit. This sort of theme. Do you know? Do you do it yourself versus? using a a company like ours. Uh, Andy, what are your, your thoughts on kind of pros and cons? um?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, like if look at your business, so 600 K a year, you know, right. Like we'd all want to be making that, but what are you, who are you paying and and how is that being supported? You know, what percentage of that goes back to costs that you're putting into your business? And, you know, a pro would be, well, maybe even at uh, like at a company like Freestar at 20%, Twenty uh, percent of your revenue is, you know, maybe the cost of a another person you'd have to have hired, and maybe you, you know, don't have that person, or you do have that person. Maybe you just lost that person, um, and you need some, you know, help there. So you have to look at all the aspects of your business, and then figure out, you know, what's what's going to be the best. What's the best way of me using this money that I'm making to, you know, put back into the business and grow the business and. And if, it, and if you do the math and it doesn't work out for you, then, you know, maybe it's better to hire somebody to get your own setup, you know, kind of yeah, built.
1: And I mean, also, it's kind of speaking from the publisher side, right, there's also this level of control, right? You, you can be in your own gam or you can be in the vendor's gam, but there's still a level of control you, you do lose out on. And if that's important to you, if you have a staff that you want to handle certain things and you feel like, Hey, I don't want to pay my staff and this third-party vendor. Well, then use your staff and see if they can give you the same level of service and, and, and maybe they can, and maybe they can. I think those are kind of questions that, uh, you know, a website owner or publisher have to, to answer themselves. And, you know, sometimes it does, Work better to to do it in house. Maybe you want to, you know, you run an arbitrage business and you need to make changes every thirty minutes or an hour. And and you know, any third party you work with, I mean, I'm sure you deal with that in your you know daily life. You want to call AT and T or Verizon and ask about your phone bill. It's probably not going to be as fast as if you could just type something in and do it yourself in their UI, right? So, um, just things to think about, right? So. Um, there's definitely going to be pros to doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Getting to the question specifically, so you know we sort of already talked about the first question from the thread. The second question was, would finding ad supply for video be difficult? I mean, depends on your website, right? You, we don't know what the brand is here, uh, what the volume is, what type of videos. Is it all UGC? Is it um is it curated editorial uh professionally shot content Uh, the short answer is no there's there's plenty of networks that are are available out there um there's certainly uh, direct uh campaign budgets for video it's not difficult but it's also not not easy i would just say it's it's a thing you got to do a thing um and that's you know getting contracts with, with video um demand partners seeing if you can leverage PMP or direct deals for uh, for video as well. The third question here
2: is just kind of asking about, is there like an alternative out there that offers a header bidding solution that I don't have to set up myself? I think they're kind of asking for like maybe like a white label solution, right? That you get in and and um, they, they talk about here had they had a hard time setting up in DFP a few years back. You know, is there something that's just out there ready to go? And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think... I think you can probably get um, maybe from a, th- a third party service, you know an integration of prebid set up in your DFP. Um, I think the aspect that uh, the managed services and, and who you're using now, uh, what they provide and, and a big part of this that I think a lot of people overlook is the reporting aspect. Um, so while you get everything set up in DFP to run, uh, then you also still need that piece of reporting. And, um, what often is overlooked is how much work goes into pulling reporting. If you're like Jeff mentioned, an arbitrage type publisher, uh, you kind of need that stuff automated. So that's the other part of the solution that you'd also need to kind of build in-house. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think we, I think we covered quite a bit of quite a bit of ground on, on this question. I'll just leave it with there's pros and cons. It depends business to business. How much of it do you want to take on? Do you think with one or two people you can do the same thing that a company of 50 or, you know, or so can do for you? If you do, you know, best of luck. If you don't, there, there's options for you. Uh, Andy, I think we're all done with, with Reddit AdOps threads and, and helping the community for the day. How are you feeling?
2: feeling like spider-man like i did my job today you know save the community help some people out
1: (laughs) nice well we need to get you in a spider-man suit i think is what you're saying (laughs) oh
2: wow that uh you know if i could just web through new york city uh like spider-man does uh yeah that would really be awesome
1: all right, we are pleased to announce our special guest, Paris Holly. Uh, Paris was forced to find a way to help support a struggling family from the inner city of Chicago, and then he turned his passion for computers into a career at age 12 by taking on local freelance development projects. Over the next 15 years, he would go on to serve as a professional consultant for startups as well as Fortune 500 companies alike. In 2014, he left the consulting world and joined forces with Matt Price, a childhood friend and cannabis entrepreneur, to launch the world's only cannabis-friendly digital marketing platform known as the Mantis Ad Network. After successfully bootstrapping the startup to over a million dollars in annual revenue, he now looks for ways to bring more minorities into technology while also spreading the word on opportunities in the legal cannabis industry. Paris, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, guys, for having me
1: here. Pleasure. Awesome. So let's go ahead and get uh, right into it. So Paris, you know, just to start us off, how'd you get into the ad tech space? Kind of specifically, you know, your approach into the cannabis space as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would say it's almost like a glorious accident. Uh, so me and my, my, my partner go way back and uh, he actually started this blog called Medical Jane back in 2013. Um, and over the years, he would pitch me like, hey man, we got to work on this project, this new idea. It's like, it's going to be big. And uh, one day he hits me up and he's like, look at my Facebook account. And he's got like a couple hundred thousand followers on this thing. And I'm just like, this many people care about this stuff like what's going on he's like oh yeah i moved out here to la it's like it's a huge industry like we you need to get in on this and so that's where my journey kind of began uh, i kind of left consulting and we uh you know had a very traditional media play really just focusing on the medicinal and scientific benefits of cannabis and then one day i was like hey Matt, this is great, but we got to start making some money, man. Like I wanna sure. educate people, but <laughs> you know, I left a pretty good job, right? So naturally, you know, as a publication, we started to sell advertising. Um, and we sold really quick. I mean, everyone loved our traffic and converted well. And people are saying, like, hey man, I, I wanna spend unlimited amounts of money with you guys. Like, what can we do? Um so I started reaching out to other people in the cannabis space that ran blogs and publications and Paris, you mm-hmm. were like
1: uh, uh, unlimited excuse me <laughs> <laughs> right that's that's like you, that's everyone kill for a, that's that that's a nice yeah you, that's a really nice word to hear
0: <laughs> yeah uh, so I was like all right let, let me put put your money where your mouth is so uh, so I started you know going out to my my buddies in the space and said hey I got these advertisers with extra cash to burn like let's work together um, and that just naturally kind of turned into what I would call V1 of the business, which was, you know, a more traditional ad network. And as you can imagine, the chicken and egg in that was just brutal. I mean, you're, you you are know, you got to have advertisers to get pubs, pubs, to get advertisers. Right. So it was a learning experience. And I didn't come
1: from this space. I mean, I know technology, but. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Paris. Like, I'm just kind of curious from that part of it. You know, you, you sort of like fell into the ad space.
0: Yeah, for, for the most part. Um, I mean, For Medical Jane, we really had this broader vision of not just media and advertising, but all types of software and things we wanted to do. But advertising was really like step one to kind of bootstrap that process and then uh, found out how much of a need it is, not only for that space, but then, you know, things like brand safety. We would try to apply for Google and everything else and everyone would say no, like it's, we can't do it. You know, we can't run ads on your website and we can't give you any of our tooling. So it's just like, well, I guess I have to build it myself if you guys aren't going to help me out. Uh, you know, now if I would have known everything I know today, six years ago, you know, maybe some things I wouldn't have built out myself. But, uh, you know, it was definitely a fun experience. As I've kind of learned more and more about the space, I think what's interesting is, you know, I kind of came in with blinders on and I really looked at, the industry from a different perspective. You know, I wasn't a big media guy and, you know, everything from net waterfall payments to clawbacks and all these other things. And I was like, wow, this is how this space operates. And so it was, it was really just learning on the fly, just how this side of the world is, is run.
1: Incredible. That That is incredible, man. Just, just, you know, starting on a vision, maturing that into an ad business, and then, you know, ultimately maturing that into an ad network. That's... <laughs> Bravo, dude! <laughs> That's all I can say.
0: In many ways, we almost stumbled in, in, into ad tech. Uh, I would say we, even when we got off the ground, we didn't really consider ourselves ad tech. We were just kind of connecting people, right? Um, and you know, when I would get on the phone with or send emails with you know all these c level execs at, at the programmatic exchanges, DSPs, SSPs, and everyone's like, "No, we can't. There's no way we can partner." Um, you know, and then header bidding came out, and it's like, "All right, I've got this avenue to work around you guys. Like, I don't need you. I can go." Find the scale, and so that's when I started looking at it, and we started looking at it as a business to say, okay, how do we position ourselves in ad tech, and what does it mean for us to transition to an ad tech company?
1: Paris, you, you know, you sort of touched on uh, how you guys started from a medical chain, and then sort of how that um, you know transitioned into the the Mantis Ad Network but both are, are still, you know, striving and, and and doing, you know, very well on their own. Do you find yourself struggling to split your time between the two or is Medical Jane sort of more on a little more autopilot, so to speak, and you have other folks running that, that side of the business?
0: Yeah, a little bit, I would say, you know, I, I still have to keep a fire extinguisher in a break in case of an emergency, right? So, you know, there's always fires everywhere. But but yeah, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, you know, we had a much broader vision for, for MJ and, um, you know, maxis was kind of like the near-term business opportunity. So, there's still a lot more for us to do with that. And, um, you know, the on the other side too, being a publisher and, you know, the a founder of this platform, you know, you almost eat your own dog food, right? So, you know, we're in the trenches as a publication and can understand the pain points and, everything else that goes along with it. So it's, you know, it's good to kind of have those two things in tandem. Uh,
2: So being in 2020 now, and and over the years, you know, we've seen cannabis expanding, states are legalizing it, some of them are medical, some of it's, you know, recreational, but, you know, on the Mantis website, it makes very little like mention of cannabis explicitly. So how do you position the company?
0: Yeah, so, you know, we've definitely, I wouldn't necessarily say pivoted, but really thought about what our value proposition was over the years. And, um, you know, we have a pretty good foundation inside of the cannabis space already. And we've worked with over a thousand companies, um, helping them with their digital marketing efforts. And, um, you know, that space it's, it's growing, you know, over the years. And, uh, for us this year, we said, Hey, you know, how can we be different and how do we, you know, not necessarily uh, leave cannabis behind, but how do we take what we've been able to build independently and, uh, expand it to something larger. And so, you know, where do we fit in in the mainstream conversation? Um, and for us, it was our transition to a 0% fee model. Um, and, you know, transparency and the middlemen and the ad tax is, is something that, you know, has been brought to the forefront, I think, over the last few years. But uh, for us, you know, we've done a lot of things differently, um, even even before our pricing model change. And, we wanted to make sure that we kind of focus on that as it's like, Hey, regardless of the type of company you are, we think we are going to do something a little bit differently.
1: Uh, Paris, you you sort of just to quickly, not to get too off track here, but you know, you sort of mentioned the pivot in the, in the pricing model, you know, for, for those who might be listening that don't, don't exactly know what, what exactly that means. Could you kind of speak to what that shift looked like?
0: Yeah. Um, So, you know, you know we started as the mantis ad network um so you know in that traditional model it was arbitrage right we connected advertisers with publishers and we took a cut of out the middle um and it wasn't necessarily because that's the way we wanted to do business it's it's the way we kind of you know to this date, bootstrap because we don't have investment we're self you know self-funded and so um our approach was was you know let's get this thing far enough along and then reevaluate how we deliver value both to our publishers and to our advertisers. And, you know, if there's anything that I've learned as an outsider in ad tech, it's all about leverage. Right. And so if I can go to an SSP or a publishing partner and said, hey, you know, give me the opportunity to work with you on cannabis and I'll unlock more opportunity for you by not taking a cut of the spin that you should be getting uh, through every other partner that you work with. Because, you know, for me, um, I think that it's crazy to see how many players in the space are eating media spend dollars um, and and for us uh, it's it's like hey you know we have a DSP you can come to our platform run a campaign um, and we just charge you a flat fee and you can spend as much money as you want publishers love it because you know we don't we we don't we don't want to be in a position where our publishers feel like we're competing against them right like that we're selling campaigns and they can't go out and sell direct right so we're telling publications that you partner with us, you can set the rate you want. Uh, we, we won't take any of your ad dollars. We just want to sell software to the advertisers because we believe our value is in saving time, right, and making it easy so you don't have to negotiate with with everyone on the internet, um, and vice versa for advertisers, right? You know, you shouldn't be penalized for wanting to spend more. Uh, and so for us, you know, we looked out into the ad tech space and said, okay, you know, obviously we've got some great leverage with cannabis given the the CPMs and everything else that we can offer, but we want to do something a little bit different and that's our, our entryway.
1: You sort of uh, touched on this a little bit, but I would like to uh, dive a little bit more into it, uh, you know, in terms of this kind of satisfying both worlds, the publishing world and the advertiser world. So can you kind of talk through some of um, I guess as a, you know, co-founders you know, what the, what some of the biggest hurdles are dealing with both sides of those of the business, their needs, and, and sort of making sure that, you know, you're taking care of one while you're still taking care of the other.
0: Yeah. And it's, it was definitely, definitely been a journey. Um, And, you know, it's, it's just as much about education as it is the amount of dollars you're putting in or or taking out of someone's pocket. Um, I mean, the reality is nowadays with the growth of, you know, the privacy invasive practices of the ad tech ecosystem over the years, that content kind of got commoditized. It was all about people and audiences and, one-to-one marketing, um, and then it didn't really matter what you were producing as long as you had the traffic that could tie to something. And so, um, you know, for us since the very beginning, we said, hey, our publishers are taking a risk. They're investing and producing great content um, and you can't find their audience anywhere else. So we're going to implement price floors on that way. Publishers at least feel like we're not selling uh, selling it to the lowest common denominator. Um, Another thing we've been, you know, uh, very strong about is we don't extend credit. So if a publisher works with us and we bid on any of your inventory, it's guaranteed to get paid. Uh, we don't have to go chase down invoices or worry about someone upstream not paying us. If someone detects fraud or something else happens, you, know, you can make, do a make good and say like, hey, we'll throw some more impressions your way, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's building an equitable e- ecosystem. Uh, ecosystem. And, and the same way for advertisers, from the very beginning, you know, we've worked on a VCPM model we said that we don't want publishers to make money on impressions that the user never sees. Um, And that way for the publisher's benefit, right? It's an adjustment because they're, they're used to just blanket, put ads in a footer and get paid. Whereas now we're saying, Hey, the way we justify these premium rates is by offering a premium product. Um, And so that's something we've kind of stood by since the beginning, obviously in a programmatic or header bidding environment, that ecosystem doesn't really play into uh, effect, but you know, for us, is just a yet another thing for advertisers. Whether that's including, uh, you know, ad fraud protection. Whether that's including the VCPM guarantee, things like that. Like we always want to make side, make sure both sides are getting something out of our platform. Paris,
2: you've you've built, uh, and and it it sounds like pretty much for the most part, you've built you know most of the technology that everything runs on. And um, I, I guess you know you, you should be very proud of what you've built, but are there any like internal tech tools that are, you know, stand out as like, you're, you're really proud of that one. Like, man, that was just a really good one or.
0: I don't know if there's a particular tool. I mean, I always hear all the time that I was just like, you're you're one guy and you build, you build all this stuff. Like, why didn't you just buy it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like eh, I don't, I don't know. I, I like to build stuff, leave me alone. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I think our clients tell us all the time. They really appreciate the transparency, like the ad hoc real time reporting. You know you really can kind of get into the tool and just see everything
1: just out of curiosity is there any sort of ad tech now or in the you know in the near future that you're you know sort of geeking out on
0: you know i, th- I think i've always been very interested in just big data in general um, and not necessarily the processing of it but the the ease of use um, i think over the years the infrastructure around processing huge amounts of data has just been simplified every single year you know it's like i'll sp- one year I'll get on Amazon, build this infrastructure and they, they release a product and next year they did a half of what I just did for a fourth <laughs> of the cost. It's like, come right. on guys, like, give me, give me a heads up so I don't waste my time. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's what I'm most excited about. Like right now we're going through a pretty big, um, rehaul of our, of our, uh, data lake infrastructure so that, um, when we start opening up our RTB exchange and adding all these partners with, you know, t- hundreds of hundreds of thousands of requests a second, that we want to maintain that real time, um, performance and and everything else and so you know that's always fun because it's a never-ending
1: challenge for sure and and you know from that perspective there's always this need of getting more granular data and getting it faster and at cheaper costs and and that's sort of always you know sort of top of mind um aside from i guess the technology around it are you you know are you you know as entrepreneurs are you guys worried about the any potential human costs like are you going to need a you know bring on a ton of data scientists or are you just sort of um, trying to leverage the tech as much as possible to keep the human cost down?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been kind of a, our our staple as a very small team is, you know, how do we turn a lot out of a little? And, uh, you know, thankfully we've got a lot of great partners that we work with um, that help kind of, build out our proprietary stack. And, uh, you know, like you said earlier, I mean, because of the way we operate, we don't run through the traditional programmatic pipes. and We control so much of the ecosystem. You know, the ability to optimize and make things more efficient uh, works very well for us. So, you know, we're able to really onboard and add people and not have to worry too much. And so we'll see We'll see if that changes. But for now, knock on wood, everything's, everything's good.
2: <laughs> uh, OK, so for an aspiring developer, what advice would you give?
0: I would say that the biggest thing is, is I think the definition of full stack is has definitely grown over the years and um, that you have to be comfortable with infrastructure and DevOps, right? Like, you know, especially in ad tech, you know, I was kind of amazed how much a small coding decision how much a byte of data can be the difference between latency, thousands of dollars in in, in bandwidth costs or just, I mean, everything touches so many different moving pieces. Um, and you really have to be able to think about it at a more holistic level and not just a feature level. And, you know, especially given that, you know, I've been having a great time evaluating all these different technologies, you really have to understand why the tools were built and not what they do, right? You know, you can find 10, 20 different enterprise enterprise grade key value stores, but like, why did that company decided to build it that way, right? What problems did they run into and try to like, get ahead of what problems you're gonna run into before just saying, oh, I'll just, throw it in Redis or something just because that's popular and what everyone else uses. And so I would say those are like the two biggest things.
2: Yeah, lots of frameworks out there and, and lots of decisions to make. So understanding them definitely sounds
1: like the, the right path. Paris, from I guess from my perspective, I'm certainly the least technical guy on this call uh, by, by a long stretch. Um, are there any things from a business perspective or uh, maybe non-technical that... Could help developers
0: for sure i mean definitely in the in the ad tech space like you're, you're dealing with data and you're dealing with the abilities for your customers to comprehend that data um, and so whether that means being able to convey to a customer the value they're getting out of spending money with you or reading the reports the right way or showing them in the right way like you really have to put on the human hat and say who am i on the other side of the fence like i just spent a thousand dollars like, how do I grasp what that means and what I got for that? Um, and if, you know, people have issues or run into problems, like you really need to be able to talk to those customers. And so the human element is, is huge. I mean, you can't just kind of work in a bubble.
1: Sure. Um, kind of the last thing that we we always like to, to, to hear, um, obviously, I think 2020 has taught us a lesson that maybe predictions is not the right business for, for, for ad tech or, or the world, but, you know, are there any things that you are kind of banking on to see over the next few years or, or just something that maybe hasn't even, you know, launched yet?
0: For sure. Um, I would almost put it in like two categories of predictions and hope. Um, you know, I, I feel like mass consolidation is coming. Um, I feel personally that there's just way too many players in the space. Um, I think the death of the mobile ID is imminent. You know, um, we've already seen Apple go pretty hard on cookies and, you know, I'm pretty sure the, the Apple mobile ID is going to be next on the, on the chopping block, uh, with the restrictions around data and privacy, you know, I think the internet potentially maybe a little bit longer out, but I think the way we access content on the web, um, may change, whether that's gated content or some other way to uh, identify people or people where publishers are trying to find additional strategies that really, um, leverage the data in a way that's useful. Um, and personally, you know, I, I look at, especially as a small player in, in a bigger pool um, and, you know, you've got the walled gardens, the, the Google, the Facebook, everyone else, and they're only, they're only growing their dominance. And, you know, I would hope that publishers start to collaborate more, um, you know, almost so to speak, like a cooperative, you know, I feel like at some point it's going to have to get, to an area where we're like, hey, we need to be sharing technology. We need to not be delegating our infrastructure to vendors. Like we need to be working together on fraud, working together on creative, working together on data, um, because otherwise we're just going to get owned by everyone else.
1: And are you kind of envisioning some sort of, you know, other, I guess, open source consortiums like, you know, pre-bid for data, pre-bid for security, you know, different types of um, elements that, you know, e- like let's share resources to come up with a, uh, a common standard, so to speak. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I think pre was definitely a great start. Um, though I would love to see more than technology and open source collaboration, but actually shared infrastructure, right? Like, you know, ad servers, you know, again, fraud detection, like everything like this, we're not really competing on ad tech. Like if, if you're, Taking it, you know, the ten thousand foot view as a publisher, like everyone's producing content, and we got to find ways to make the content more valuable again um, versus what it is today, where it's kind of put on the on the the back burner in, in the ad tech stack. And so, like to me, I want to see more publishers engage with each other.
1: Awesome, man. Um, well, Paris, really appreciate uh, your time today and all of your fantastic answers. You know, it was it was great uh, chatting with you and getting to pick your brain and, and sort of hear your, your worldview.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to seeing what comes up next.
1: Well, that was a great conversation. Again, a special thanks to our friend Paris Hawley at Mantis. It was really great speaking to him, hearing his perspective on things and, and just getting a little bit more information on, on the work that he does on a, on a daily basis. Cheers to that. A reminder for everybody that the links for the Reddit threads we discussed will be in the show notes if you want to check them out afterwards. Thank you again for everyone who made it this far for the FreeStar Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast. If you do have a spare moment, please check us out on Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review and subscribe to make sure that you get all of this high quality content directly into your ears. For feedback or suggestions for guests, you can reach us at podcast at freestar.com. Special thanks to Matt Hanline for our music and to Caroline Romano and Paolo Bautista for helping with editing and production and making sure that people know this podcast exists. Until next time, don't forget to add your macros. Later, alligator.